Everybody and welcome to episode 391 of the Siren Studs podcast. I'm joined, as always, by my ever-reliable co-host, Peter, Peter, Peter the Third. That's absolutely He of the right. eating pumpkins. <laughs> the pumpkin nosher. Just a little snack. Um, we're coming at you live with uh, Pete's protein chowder edition of the cast. Protein chowder. <laughs> a full kilogram of protein. <laughs> In every scoop, will give you the energy and vitality of Poseidon himself. Be be more than a How chum. How big is this? Is it like a fucking shovel? A kilogram it's, of protein? It's means- just a conch shell filled with dehydrated, uh, diced up clams. The powder would have to weigh a kilo. You'd have to have a kilogram of powder in your scoop for it to have a kilogram of protein. The we can't play tricks with matter. Every Every bottle comes with an innovative spiral funnel feeding system. <laughs> slam, slam that mollusk down and get ready for your workout. Fully endorsed by Jason Momoa. <laughs> you will, he'll have you saying, my man. My man. Side effects may include uh, kidney pearls. Side effects may include kidney pearls and developing gills. <laughs> you just got to weigh your, your options there. <laughs> See our case study in Buffalo, where the Buffalo Bills became the Buffalo Gills. <laughs> and they took the, they took the seaweed bowl. Seaweed this is, bowl. It's like a bad SpongeBob. This, this is like... These are uh we we got these straight from the cutting room floor of uh wherever they edit SpongeBob. Yeah. Which I I assume at this point they just have an AI that pumps out episodes of SpongeBob. Yeah. Um just in the Nickelodeon control center. Uh and we're here coming at you live from uh the I mean we we finally finished it. It's the Saturn Studs transdimensional uh live base uh anywhere space and time and we're right here we've parked it right in the middle of hope springs yeah uh which in the still basement of a church which still uh, exists today because you know as we all know hope, hope springs, springs eternal, eternal. <laughs> they did not really make a pun on that they didn't in the movie which i guess i respect them for <laughs> yeah um We'll talk about we'll we'll talk about this we'll talk about this movie uh, partially because it's the thing we decided to the do thing this we're week. scheduled to talk about <laughs> the purpose of of why we're all here you're wondering why I've gathered you all here today <laughs> we're here to you might not movies. believe it but we're going to review a movie it's <laughs> literally never happened before and we're going to get there in record time um, as in it's going to be a recorded amount of time yes. Um, <laughs> The, the time it takes will be a matter of record. <laughs> so we have to travel through the nine circles of Saturn studs to get there. The nine rings of Saturn True. studs, if you will. Dodging its various Galilean moons. <laughs> Ice clouds and such. 
Is there ice on Titan? Who knows? <laughs> Would she want to live on Titan? Probably not. No. I, uh, are there? Well, no. I, was, I, I, I've totally. I'm stumbling. I'm falling. I'm gonna fall onto my tray and watch it <laughs> with tray watch. That was perhaps the most belabored segue. That was the no, no. I can't even say I was straight faced. That wouldn't even no. be like top five most belabored segues in the history of the show. No, but that was a um, that was a that was a basement bunker of a of a blunder. It was not your best work. No, um, uh, just like Hollywood is not giving us their best work this week. Oh, no, sir. What do we got? Um, Let's start with some we'll, we'll just start with the order that we watched them in yeah. uh, mere minutes ago uh, with Manodrome. <laughs> Jesse Eisenberg uh, with a red crew cut for reasons. Of course. Um, the, the, works out and kills people for Adrian Brody's circle of men. I don't really know yeah. what this trailer's about. Uh, I feel like Jesse Eisenberg is starting to get typecast as the mild-mannered guy who gets roped into toxic mas- masculinity circles. Um, I don't know. How, like, I didn't see anything. Because he was in the art of self-defense, right? Yeah, but I don't understand the toxic masculinity aspect of it. Well, he gets, so he's like a guy who's like, I don't know if I'm going to be ready to be a father or whatever. And Adrian's like, come, come to my, come to the Manodrome, the man mansion, where we all, we're all definitely manly men. And you get to hang out with us, and you can be a man too. There's nothing wrong with hanging out with other men. <laughs> and maybe you have to kill someone. Yeah, see, that's where, like, I. <laughs> and we're gonna brand you. This we're gonna movie give you a brand. takes some some weird turns. Um, I just. I think it's supposed to be like an Andrew Tate kind of like. Yeah, I vibe. don't. I don't know. I could see something like that from Lionsgate. But the movie doesn't really make clear what's going on. Like, because all you see is it's a lot of Jesse Eisenberg working out. Yes. And and there are some other men working out, too. And in between that, you see snippets of his baby mama. Mm-hmm. And she's, like, concerned about him like, talking to Adrian Brody. Yeah. And then he shoots a guy. Yes. <laughs> and that's... <laughs> that's kind of all that's in the trailer. <laughs> so, I mean, it, good on whoever cut this trailer together for, like, creating some intrigue. Yeah. But, uh... I feel like you probably would just do better watching Fight Club again. Yeah. I'm not so sure that, like, the message of this movie and the message of Fight Club are going to be <laughs> that similar, but... I, yeah, I I have no idea. I have no idea what this uh what really this movie is going to turn out to be. Yeah. But I mean Fight Club was kind of about like self in a way cuz mm. it was his delusion and spoilers for this movie that's now like what 24 years old. Yep. <laughs> It'll be 25 years old next year. Um Snape is actually Tyler Durden on Rosebud <laughs> with Dumbledore. Rosebud. Rosebud. Um, so that's Manodrome. That's that, that's the Manodrome. Uh, and uh, the hits keep on coming with the Peacock original movie that you've all been waiting for. Genie. Um, Do you want to take a guess what the movie Genie 
might be about. This might be like the least. I, I don't know. This is one of the lowest, least creative, um, <laughs> like uh, movies I've seen. Like, cause it's so. Get this, New York's a setting you've never seen before. New York City at Christmas time. Whoa, that's bold. And a man trying to get back with his wife and kid in a romantic kind of fashion. Those things, they've never been put together. Like, where no. are you? <laughs> I, I, I was about to say, this is just like Jingle All the Way, but I don't think that was set in New York City. Like, this is the equivalent of a buttered saltine cracker already. Buttered sausage. Buttered sausage. <laughs> and then you add... And you, then you add uh, Melissa McCarthy to the mix. And your chances of watching the movie drastic go, go down. down. <laughs> so I I like the I, – I mean, I am a little um, – I'm just proud of them for deciding to hit, like, just creative rock bottom with this premise in that uh, Melissa McCarthy is – she's a genie, right? So it's like, okay, the There's premise a genie is... in this movie? Yeah. <laughs> I know. Uh, he's like, okay, he's got it. With with her help, he's going to use her magical wishes uh, to create a, 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 a extraordinary adventure to get his family back. See, and, I'm going to push back on the extraordinary part of this adventure. From what they show in the trailer, it seems exceptionally ordinary. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> um, but with a little help from uh, his special friend he's he gets he gets his family back now let me describe to you what melissa mccarthy uses her magic to do in this trailer um create a large pepperoni pizza with extra cheese yes um redo the interior decorating of his apartment and nothing else she makes a camel for show oh i'm sorry that's right that she she makes a camel appear yes um, so extraordinary yes <laughs> Uh, they really break from the convention by removing the stakes of having a genie in that he gets all the wishes he wants and the genie is like his bestest friend. Yeah, none of the wishes does... get twisted around in a monkey's paw sort of way like, you know, a genie would do. Yeah, or you know what? See, this is such a uh, such like a, a milk toast premise that you could go so many ways with like what you could even keep the unlimited wishes and she's a good person and not trying to dick him over but like what if she's like bad as a genie and her wishes like go awry which would she's be learning. like a, a very slapstick comedy thing to have like if you told me melissa mccarthy is a genie in a movie that's kind of what i would expect her character to be like right so they instead subvert your expectations by making her character even less interesting and the Melissa McCarthy slapstick stuff is just Melissa McCarthy slapstick stuff. Her character just happens to be a genie. Right. So it's like the the source of the comedy is the fish out of water stuff. Um, yeah. Like which, the big joke they, they thought was so great they had to put in the trailer was her eating hand sanitizer. Describing it which, as zesty. <laughs> <laughs> which out of context almost works as, a, as an anti-joke. I mean, kind of, but like, I just like I like the uh, the joke to me that is funny is describing to someone this movie. <laughs> yeah, like honestly, like our description of this trailer, which is two minutes and twenty three seconds, but like basically shows you all you need to see of the movie. Mm -hmm. 
Um, like there's there's no uh, there's not going to be any surprises here. Like Jacques Horror, uh, the objective of this man is to uh, improve his life and get back on track, and he has unlimited wishes of a magical genie yeah. who's on his side to accomplish that goal. And he doesn't have seem to have like a strong character fault. Like this is this is also kind of the plot of Bruce Almighty, but like the thing there was he was a selfish, um, short sighted yeah. man. Yeah, like the the worst thing this guy is is a workaholic, and I'm not even sure he's a workaholic. I think he just has a job that demands long hours of him, that he's you know working to support his family, but his yeah. family's mad at him because he's missing some of these events. <laughs> so knowing this is knowing this is Peacock, and with a genie. Uh, there's a non-zero chance there. There's because we have so much history to draw on of Peacock original movies featuring a genie. I just, I just imagine this, this taking place in New York, and a man trying to woo his his wife. There's, I feel like there's a non-zero chance that there's going to be a musical number in this to pad the time. Probably. I, I mean, I don't. I don't doubt it. It's a Christmas time that's, movie. That seems if you're gonna to draw be. from yeah. If you're gonna draw from genie lore, the big one is Latin, where he you know <laughs> he puts on big displays of extravagance to try and yes, Latin the uh, the source of, of biblically genies. accurate genie advice. I I always like this idea for a genie movie where like where you power scale down the genie to be like that one friend who can like. Who just gets stuff done? Yeah, you're like you fix Wait, her. how did you get me? How did you get me a Nintendo Switch? Or <laughs> how did you get me like? How did you buy me this Lambo? Don't ask. It's, it's fine. I I got it for you. You have two more. <laughs> yeah. Something it's like, like that. Uh, Taylor Swift is coming over to your house. I pulled some strings. <laughs> um. So I mean, that's that's genie. Um. No, there's no trouble. And all your problems are solved, and maybe there's a joke in there. And would you believe that that was not the worst trailer we saw today? <laughs> yeah, because I, I think we're going to talk about that right now. Yep. Uh, family Switch. A family that has grown disconnected from each other switches bodies in a freaky situation. Cosmological incident. Like, they show a... Gra- like. They have a weird shoehorned in CGI graphic of like Sephiroth's move from Final Fantasy VII, <laughs> like they a neutrino from blast Dissidia. from from the Oort cloud comes in <laughs> and scrambles all their brains together. Uh, so the parents switch places with the kids, and the baby switches places with the dog. And they lampshade hang by referencing other movies where this sort of thing happens like freaky friday and 13 going on 30 yeah um do you think the people who wrote freaky friday ever thought that their concept would be recycled as much as it has been no i don't think they could have fathomed what they had wrought um what's funny about this though is that even there's even a better version being made in con uh Cotemporaneously, um, like so, Rick and Morty season seven is out, and they have an episode where Rick and Jerry try doing like a Freaky Friday, but the twist is that they mess up halfway through, so they're both half Rick and half Jerry. 
Okay. Right? And they have to work together to solve the thing. At the end of the episode, they just merge their brains and become Jericky. And it's like, okay. I'm glad a an episode of a TV show has has at least pulled a innovation on this yeah, concept that your full <laughs> that your full length uh, theatrical release uh, wasn't wasn't able oh, to. Oh, hold on, hold on. Not a theatrical release. This is straight to Netflix trash. Oh, okay. Well, which explains a lot. Egg Helms needs his check. He sure does. <laughs> um, who else is egg. in this? Egg Egg Helms. Uh, Emma Meyer, Jennifer Gardner. Okay, that's that's the '90s babe. Who is it? Directed by MCG. What? <laughs> Where? What are you doing, my guy? <laughs> oh dear, that is that's a weird turn. <laughs> yeah, what's what was his big movie that he's the the one I remember him from was uh. Terminator Salvation, but he also directed the uh, early 2000s Charlie's Angel movies. Um, he directed or produced The Babysitter, Killer Queen. Um, yeah. um, what other... You know, his, his credentials don't exactly scream to me. Um, family body switching movie. No. <laughs> Um, he does like mid-budget, like mid-level action movies. Some action, some like light-hearted horror stuff. Yeah. Um, some stuff like he was he produced. I feel pretty. Although which means tall he girl looks like a comedy, so maybe he's... yeah. I mean, there's some comedy stuff in here. Like again, I feel pretty was supposed to be a comedy. Uh, it wasn't funny, but. <laughs> What so I think we can sum this up as, uh, as we segue into our next trailer because we I couldn't even finish that we couldn't even finish this one we watched half half and we're like we got it uh, understanding exactly what's happening here. here the fake movie from our next trailer <laughs> does in fact look much more interesting than the actual movie of that of Family Switch yeah so this the our next trailer here is the Fall Guy. Which is directed by um, David Leitch, who you would know as the creative, one of the major creative minds behind John Wick and Nobody and Bullet Train and Deadpool 2. Um, oh, he also did, <laughs> interestingly enough, he was, he was involved with Fight Club. Okay. Um, I think he might have actually directed Fight Club. Um, no, directed by David Fincher. So he was... He was on there probably as like a choreography dude because I think that's what he did first. So yeah. uh, also Atomic Blonde. So he's got a lot of action credentials. So you you have your image of this man. And now <laughs> someone goes to this man and says, I want you to make a romantic comedy. And what you get is is kind of actually exactly what you expect. <laughs> Right. If if someone said David Leach directed a romantic comedy, Ryan Gosling, who I'm sure will will kill it in this movie, mm-hmm. um, plays a stuntman who uh, had a previous romantic entanglement with. I don't know if she's a the director. Dire- she's the director. Okay. On this project, she's the yeah. director, and the the star that he's the stuntman for, so his kind of look alike, um, gets goes missing. 
and he finds him dead and it create kicks off this this big action conspiracy with a bunch of you know the kind of scenes you expect to see right here's, and, here's and the there's, russian italian japanese mob and he has a a dog companion and <laughs> it's just like all all the the boxes you expect to be checked are yeah. there but the overarching like the driving force of it is this relationship between these two people and it, it's got more of a comedy bend it's, to it it's a rom-com than yeah. a typical action movie so I, you know, I gotta commend David Leach here because he has done what many assume to be impossible. He has brought the rom-com genre to a point where a man would voluntarily go see it. That's what I'm saying. Like that's exactly what I was thinking. I was like, ladies, if your man is reticent about going to watch rom-coms, you take him to this. You get to, you get to watch Ryan Gosling be hot. And, and sexy for an hour and a half. Uh, and you you get to be with your guy as you watch rom-com, and they think they're just watching an action movie. Yeah. It's it's the perfect package. I, I'm, I'm very interested to see how this does at the box office because <laughs> this legitimately could be, you know, this... a groundbreaking film, not necessarily in the way that you normally would expect a film to break new ground but nonetheless this could very easily be a groundbreaking film of sorts and especially like in the drought of movies that we're in this is so this is coming out march 1st yes um which isn't a even even when things are in full roll you know in full progress uh, March is not a busy time for movies, not so this is poised to be a pretty standout uh, feature. This might be really good timing. Yeah, if they advertise, I don't know how how much they're going to advertise this. So we have a skewed perspective, right? Because we go out of our way to seek out trailers for new movies every week. Mm-hmm. Very few moviegoers do that, so. Um, it's really incumbent upon whoever the distributor here is to get the word about this movie out mm-hmm. because I think if they advertise it sufficiently, it will definitely pique the curiosity of a lot of people as it has us. Like, think about this. If you're a studio that has gotten Ryan Gosling and Allison Brie to that's, be your... That's Emily Blunt. Emily Blunt. <laughs> Allison Brie's in another that's, movie that's we're talking about. Okay. <laughs> um, if you've gotten those two to be your, your co-leads and you don't market that, especially with Ryan Gosling having just been in... The, the highest grossing movie of this year. And one of the really standout like attractions in it. Yeah. Um then it's on you. Like this this should be a freebie. Yeah. This should this should be a gimme. Just market it. Put put his face out there. Put the name out there. Get people just get the word out and you, you should get this. But we know that that's not always <laughs> that doesn't always follow through. Yeah. Um. Next up, the boy and the heron. Which heron? Uh, there was so I don't have much to say because we 
It's I a spirited we... effort by uh, <laughs> Hayao Miyazaki, <laughs> but it's a little too far away from the mark for my um, taste. I we were chatting throughout the trailer, so it might not. I feel like they maybe explained the plot a little better in this. So yeah, this. I, I mean, I got I think what I needed to get out of the story. So you know, this boy is led into this world of. <laughs> strange wonderment by this yeah. this bird which i believe is voiced by willem dafoe which piques my interest yep. a little not probably not enough to go see this they got the as, as studio ghibli does it's one of the few animated movies well no that's that's just a blatant lie i was gonna say <laughs> uh one of the few anime movies that can pull pull big uh western va's it's like a. It's always been a prestige thing to work on a Ghibli movie. It's kind of funny though, because when I, I I open up the description on Ron Tomatoes trailers, because I wanted to read off the cast. It's all the uh, Japanese voice actors and actresses. <laughs> um, let me see if I can find the English. Okay, here we go. Uh, can I see the whole thing? All right. Try um, looking up like English voice cast. Or is it there? Um, I think I've got... Okay, so I think these are the... Yeah, these are definitely the English voice actors. So you've got uh, Mahmood Athi, Christian Bale, Dave Batista, Gemma Chan, Willem Dafoe, Karen Fukuhara, Mark Hamill, Robert Pattinson, Florence Pugh, Tony Rivoli, and Dan Stevens. Like, there's some really legendary and current currently in demand talent there <laughs> yes it's it's gonna be it's gonna be very well voiced that's <laughs> that's a given yeah dave um, batista voices the parakeet king <laughs> oh my god that's amazing i i love that um willem defoe is the noble pelican <laughs> <laughs> mark hamill plays something called grand uncle <laughs> grunkle i love it um I, this is gonna be this is gonna be powerful. Um, uh, this is an IMAX, so that the animation uh, lovers can soak in a few more details. See, uh, here's the thing that weirds me out about it being an IMAX and why it doesn't make a ton of sense. Like, what do you get out of IMAX with an anime, right? Like, it's just a bigger picture on the screen. It's not like there's more stuff in the frame like there is when you're shooting IMAX on film because the picture's drawn. It's a mm. virtual camera that shows you how much of the drawing that's there. I think it might have some of the same benefits as, like, a large format. Well, yeah, that's like we saw a Dragon Ball superhero in IMAX, and it was... It was like this is fine, but it's not a transformative experience mm -hmm. like um, Oppenheimer and IMAX was. Like that is a movie that was made with IMAX in mind, and when you see it on a non-IMAX screen, and you get all the weird aspect ratio changes for yeah. the big scenes, like it's very obvious that this is the lesser experience. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I I would say that. It, at least because some of the part of the the draw is the visuals um that i mean it makes sense if you just to have it there um have that option i mean if you're a big miyazaki fan and you want to spend six extra dollars to see the movie 
be my guest. You went to I we know you went to see Ghibli Fest all summer. You saw every one of those. Um and you get and... to see the movie again cuz it's it's a lot like a lot of the other ones. There's I noticed that there's even some of the same like shots. So if you go in there, so go go to the trailer and look up the part where the lady is in the fire. It should be pretty it's later on, I think. Um Oh, they they show the lady in the fire a couple times. Like I feel like it's midway through the trailer. Here, let me. Um, but when they do, um, it's it looks almost exactly like a frame from like Howl's Moving Castle. Well, um, like this this picture, I've 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 stopped on a still twenty four seconds, like with all of these like grotesque dumpling looking ladies. Yes, that's that that looks a lot like. The scene in Spirit Away when he first goes to like the witches, like the lady on the left there, I, that's yeah. like literally a character from another Ghibli movie. <laughs> um, let me see. So, wait, I think this is it. Almost. You got birds flying at. Oh, you got a a, a dark tunnel leading to a strange new world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I is is that like a Japanese thing the the tunnel thing because I know that's like a there's I see that in a lot of like anime like the cursed ghost tunnel um, uh, maybe I don't I know I know very little up. about Japanese culture yeah um oh here, wait <laughs> wait a second <laughs> um there you go wait yes that looks literally like a frame from like Howl's Moving Castle <laughs> yeah there's. It, Miyazaki's playing his hits here, I feel. There's, it's the Parakeet King. Um, like, it's, yeah. I mean, yeah, like, the it's not going to win any skeptics over. No. But it, w- it should appeal to fans. Hayao Miyazaki can continue working 30 hours a day. And, <laughs> and driving his, his workforce into the ground because he's super exacting and then Um, there was a second trailer for godzilla minus one where we saw him charging up his laser yeah (laughs) that's that's basically all all that's new there the one part of it it, to be fair is a very cool charging animation yes like you see the scales like jump out of his back and and turn electric blue um yeah that's that's trey watch baby rocking it all right, let's move on now to the follow-up, where we take a look at some previous Trey Watch um, luminaries and yep. how well they're doing on. Uh, made it forward in the box office. I closed down that tab, so don't mind me. No, it's just on my other monitor. Just <laughs> thinking. I thought ahead, but then I forgot that I thought ahead. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I was in fact behind. You played yourself. <laughs> I've outsmarted myself. <laughs> um, so domestic weekend forty three covering October twenty seventh through 29th of twenty twenty three. Uh, running away with the lead, at the box office is the like surprising, surprising like runaway smash hit. Given that it is also available to stream at home on Peacock for oh. your one month free trial. Um, but Five Nights at Freddy's raked in eighty million dollars. Damn. Um, 
so that's that's a pretty big opening weekend. Game. It's it so far has uh has raked in 154 million dollars worldwide. Uh so quite quite a successful film there cuz I'm sure it did not cost a lot of money to make. Um a lot of people a lot of what I've like heard we'll we'll spotlight this in a future episode. We're just kind of waiting for Drake to get back for that one. Mm-hmm. Um I've heard it's decidedly mid. Right. But I also heard that was the way that Five Nights at Freddy's was. Well, yeah, also. like the game itself was nothing special. It was a kid's like, spoopy I, game. I played it when it came out because, you know, I had some friends that wanted to play it. So we I spent $5 of my own money <laughs> to play this fucking game. And it was, there wasn't much to it. Um, and I don't think Five Nights at Freddy's would have become the phenomenon that it was had it not been for like every other game theory episode being on Five Nights at Freddy's. Yeah, Five Nights at Freddy's, uh, Pat and Markiplier. Yeah. Like they, whoever developed the game owes them, like Notch owes C-Nanners. I hope he bought him yeah. a house because <laughs> he's the guy who really got Minecraft going. <laughs> And allowed him to sell it to Microsoft for yeah. probably like literally a billion dollars. <laughs> Give him a second house because he probably did make enough off of that. Yeah. <laughs> to get, to get um, but yeah, Matt Pat and Markiplier did a lot of heavy lifting for this. And they were rewarded with that, with cameos in the movie. Yeah. Um, with with a real say the line Bart moment <laughs> from Matt Pat. <laughs> <laughs> But that's that's what you want, and that's that's the real kind of heart of it. It was the it was the whole culture and the energy surrounding it. Which, how long? I mean, when did when did Five Nights come out? It's been I want to say twenty fourteen. It's been almost ten years. Yeah. So like, this is kids who grew up with. Five Isn't Nights. that fucking weird to think about? Like yeah. a thirteen year old kid when that came out now is twenty three. They're out of college. Yeah. <laughs> And they're like, wow, I remember this was the game when I was a kid. I played this. Yeah, is that my... I watched all the, the game theory videos. I was at my childhood friend's uh, Halloween party. And, um, you know, there are some neighbors. I used to live in that neighborhood. Um, so there were some neighbors who haven't seen me in, like, eight years talking to me. And, like, one of them mentioned that their youngest kid, who was, like, a kid kid when I knew them, like, just finished up at FIT and is now working in Manhattan. I'm like, oh, my God, that's right. They... They grow They'd up. be that old. Yeah. Shit, I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> and we and we're only gonna get older. Yep. The misery never ends. So um, I I look forward to watching the Skibbity Toilet movie with you in 2042. Yeah. When uh, <laughs> when the nostalgic revival of Saturn Studs podcast comes along. Yeah. <laughs> we'll come back just to review that one. Yeah. Oh. Um, Taylor Swift, hot on its heels in second. Uh, not very hot on its heels. Down quite a bit, actually. Yeah. Uh, $15 million, down 53.5%, dropping out of 82 theaters. But it's brought in a respectable $205 million worldwide. Um, so good for, good for Taylor being able to double dip on your concert. You earnings. gotta, you gotta appreciate the hustle. I do respect the grind. Um, Killers of the Flower Moon continues the bomb. Uh, <laughs> down nearly sixty percent. 
from an already disappointing opening weekend, uh, bring in $9.3 million. Um, very, very good marketing of your movie, Scorsese. Well, it's it's just a hard ask for people to go and see a movie like this in theaters. Right. But, I, again, like, part of it is, um, like, his refusal to um, not... Uh, what's the I guess compromise on uh, doing something like an intermission because uh, apparently it was made very clear to the, to the theaters that this was not to have anything like an intermission right that you were and he was and a lot of the the media surrounding that I've seen is about him being kind of very elitist about um, like oh if the, if the average American can sit through TV for binge TV for five hours they should be able to watch a three hour movie in a theater I don't get it it's it is like that is one of the things, right? Where like, you know, people will watch eight episodes of a television show in a row, but balk at a three-hour movie. And you know, I can see from like a zoomed-out perspective, someone being like, "What's the difference?" Well, the difference is each episode of the show has its own story arc that begins mm-hmm. and ends within the confines of that episode. Right. So it's a more dynamic. Uh, viewing experience and you can pause yes and there's logical stopping points yeah it's called the end of each episode so if you need to get a snack or take a piss or take a dump like you're not like oh am i gonna miss anything no because you're between episodes it's not the common mode to be couch locked into watching an entire season of a netflix show and the reason why your last movie was as well received as it was is because it was on a streaming platform where people could take it in in manageable bite-sized parts. And, you know, as as much as I, I clown on the Snyder Cut, that was a four-hour movie that put in, like, chapters. Like, yep. not like chapters as, like, you'd go in a scene select, but, like, actual... Intertitle chapters. Intertitle chapters where you're like, okay, if I need to stop and take a break... Here's a good spot to do it. And that was the only way that movie got made. That, like, being able to be in that format made that movie possible, and it was a hit with with the with its target audience. Yes. the That's a good way to put it. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, um... So if you, like, think about your, Scorsese, think about your target audience. Think about, think about the size of the prostate of the average viewer. Well, like his target audience is people like us, right? You know, like yes, that's true. cinema people. Like that's true. My prostate is not that large. Big yet. movie goers. I I don't know about the size of mine. <laughs> <laughs> when I got my uh, imaging done for my kidney stone, I was told it was borderline enlarged. I'm like, what does that mean? Should I be concerned? <laughs> <laughs> Made the cutoff time. <laughs> that means like normal, right? But on the higher end of normal. Yeah. <laughs> um. But the the other challenge this movie had is the ongoing SAG after strike. So none of the people in the movie could promote the movie. Yeah. So when you have a movie that's like really relying on on being a prestige film and having these big name actors in it, when they can't say, hey, go see this movie, it becomes a bit of a problem. Yeah. Uh, thus the low box office. Not that like... I really felt that this movie was going to do well at the box office to begin with because movies like this don't make a ton of money. They win awards, which is why studios will invest the money in them. 
because right. having this award-winning movie in your platform can have a lot of impact it's on good. on its back end. Right, for political power, essentially, if you want to frame it like well, that. Well, there's that, and like it will become revered, and people will pay more for the television rights and stuff like the collection, that. Collection, the collectible version. Yeah. Like, know. Shawshank Redemption infamously made dick at the box office and Ooh. became popular because the television rights to it were so cheap, and a lot of people saw the movie that way yep. and realized its quality. So, like, this this was always going to attract that. Uh, we will probably review this at some point when it comes to a format where we can watch it in, in spurts because yeah. I'm not gonna i i just i can't imagine finding a a day where i'm like okay i'm gonna go to the movie theater and watch a three hour and 26 movie 26 minute movie that has like 30 minutes of trailers in front of it like i'm not gonna sit in a theater for four fucking hours my exception was barbenheimer because that was like a once in a probably a once in a generation kind of experience and I, I already had Friday night committed to it. And I was like, fine, I'll watch both things and I'll do a five hour uh, spree. But you like had time in between movies, right? Yeah. So like that's that's still like you had an intermission. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I it's it. I just don't feel that. Yeah, I feel the same way where I just don't want to take my time and go out to see this movie. And it's not like a comfortable experience. Like movie theater seats, you know, they're like, they're fine and whatever and you have it, but you're like, you're not in your home. You're not in a comfortable yeah. set. You, there's only so much comfort you can have in a public setting. Mm-hmm. Right? There are people going in, they might be talking, like, and uh, like, that's what I miss most about the COVID era is like being able to watch new releases at home and not have to deal with that and being able to like go back and watch something again if I didn't understand it. It made this job a lot easier. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, so I guess the I guess the kind of end point of that is like it's there's not I don't feel like I'm missing out in a way that I would be with another movie. Yeah. So we can afford to wait. And it's not a movie that like demands to be seen in theaters, I don't think. I'm sure it has nice cinematography, but I'm mm. sure I'm not going to be like, "Oh, wow, look at that." <laughs> it's nothing I'm going to miss on my uh my regular like 30-inch. Yeah, my regular 65-inch TV. Like Yeah. <laughs> it's not like that's another thing it's that not I think's hurting Lynch, theaters. Where I watch a movie on my fucking phone. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, it's a reasonable screen. I'm yeah, sure I'll like, be able to catch the, the distance nuance. I'm sitting away from it. It fills about as much of my peripheral vision as the giant screen of the movie theater does. Yeah. If a TV is not enough to capture your vision, that might be a you problem. Yeah. Um, after death finds itself in fourth from angel studios. Those who brought you a sound of freedom. They're at it again. At again um, with a documentary, heavy air quotes, yep. um, based on real near-death experiences. After Death explores the afterlife with the guidance of New York Times best-selling authors, medical experts, scientists, and survivors that shed a light on what awaits us. Yeah. Now we wanted to spotlight this, but uh, despite having a minor, a, a twenty meta score, a twenty-two meta score. Uh, there were no one star, no two star, and like two three star reviews. 
for this. Yeah. It was all skewed. There were 88 reviews, and it seemed as they were all um, skewed towards uh, 10 stars. Which is funny, Um, because the IMDb, like, score for the movie was pretty low. Like it was, yeah. it was, it was something where you would expect there to be more of a balance. But I guess the only people who cared enough to write a review about it were people who were really excited by it. The people who reviewed it were the same people who all went to see uh, the first, the, their previous movie, who Sound. sold out all those theaters. Yes, the real people that really watched that movie. Um, I'm it's sure, all very legitimate, don't you know? I'm sure it's all above board, and there's no way. A vehicle for laundering or funneling money to to something. Nope, not a chance. Um, but that made five million dollars somehow. Um, Exorcist Believer continues its freefall. It's currently available to view on on demand. So if you still want to watch something for Halloween and you've decided you've watched all the good movies already, <laughs> uh, enjoy your November viewing of. Exorcist Believer, I guess. Well, see, that's the thing about Halloween movies. Like, like Halloween is this weird thing where it's like the whole month it builds up because it's the last day of the month. And then just like that, you're in November and like it feels wrong to have Halloween decorations up. It's gone. I would say it's Thanksgiving time, but no, it's it's already Christmas season. Yep. But I've ranted about that enough. Yeah. Um, Paw Patrol, Mighty Movie, in six, um, with $2.3 million. Not much to say about that. Um, Nightmare Before Christmas, 30th anniversary re-release. Still in theaters. Still in the, still in theaters, still in the top ten. Um, you see, this movie works because it is simultaneously a Halloween and Christmas movie. (laughs) They really, they really struck gold on that one with just like, oh, we can just, it's, it's, Put it wherever. It Although it's much from... more a Christmas movie than it is a Halloween movie. Yeah, it's got Christmas in the title. Uh, most of the plot revolves around Christmas and Santa. Um. So yeah, we might have to watch it at some point. <sighs> I hate that movie so much. No, you, I I fucking it. hate it. I liked it as a kid, but I watched it as like an older kid. I'm like, this is like the most disgusting, <laughs> like fucking weird ass Tim Burton movie ever. I will, I don't get why everyone's obsessed with it. I will admit I've never seen it. My main exposure to it has been uh, Kingdom Hearts. All, all, no, like <laughs> seen kids and emo kids who love putting that shit all over anywhere you, you put merch. It's just like, I don't know. It's, there's a lot of like really macabre imagery in it. Mm hmm. Like, and there's like, I've read some stuff about like how they had like dial back some stuff. Like they were, like there's supposed to be some kids playing ice hockey with Tim Burton's head as the puck in one of the Halloween Town scenes. I'm like, this is a movie that you were going to like put out there for younger kids well tim burton was always uh well see the funny thing is tim burton had dick to do with this movie right but everyone credits him for it yeah he was too busy working on batman returns to do like anything with this movie he said put the spirally hills in it yeah okay and thus 
So like, I mean, if you're if you like the aesthetic, sure you're gonna enjoy the movie, but like the plot's pretty threadbare, and Mm. um, like you don't have a lot of people to root for (laughs) because no one in the movie like really does good. Like Jack Skellington's well-meaning, but he still kidnaps Santa Claus and delivers like horrifying toys to children on Christmas. If so, I mean, if you're a bit of a misanthrope, um, that's the that's the one for you. But you don't need our you don't need our recommendation to see that. Yeah, like but. if if you like the movie, you're gonna go see it. Yeah, um, and a lot of people like the movie. I just don't happen to be one of them. Yeah, put your have your Jack Skellington backpack and your Lincoln Park CDs. <laughs> and you're good. Um, perhaps not as good, though, as uh, our movie opening in eighth this week with a staggering $2 million opening weekend in 2,000 theaters. From Relativity Media comes Freelance, a movie that, I guess I've heard of before. I think I saw like the, not a trailer for it, but like just the poster. Mm. And I was like, is this a real movie? Yeah. Like <laughs> and it technically it exists. turns out it, it does in fact exist. And it did in fact have just enough reviews <laughs> and the right proportions for us to make it our spotlight film. That's right. It came in just just under the bar. So, Three Relance, starring John Cena and Allison Brie, currently uh, enjoys a, um, a a true zero percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, joining the illustrious ranks of Gotti. Gotti, yeah. 24 reviews. Not a lot of reviews, but they're all bad. <laughs> they're all bad. Um, and it does have a 75% audience score after... 50 plus verified ratings. Ooh. Um, so yeah, not a lot of people saw this movie. Not a lot of people had things to say about it. Uh, somehow it reached the middle of the box it's office. It's got a 23 on Metacritic. Um, but you know, we can't trust those scores. They are all influenced by by big money and the oil lobby <laughs> and all of this stuff. Big but cereal. the true the true pillars of virtue in film criticism reside in the IMDb user review sections. The realest of the real. Like, Abiso and his 9 out of 10 review of Freelance. Incredibly well-written comedy and incredibly with incredibly realistic and very hard political dialogues. Okay. I am, I am intrigued by the premise. This man was moved by this movie. Um... Yes, he was. Um, let's be clear. Semicolon. This is a relatively low-budget action movie, so do not expect spectacular action scenes. There is a there is lot of violence and action, but it's mostly comedy. The incredible situation are the dialogues. Another semicolon. Unbelievably realistic. Semicolon. No, you can use commas there. <laughs> Playing with the standard commonplaces in this kind of movie and twisting them to unexpected outcomes and the very hard critic to corporations exploiting third world countries for their resources. Another surprise is that all the characters have well-defined roles. There are no 
air quotes, dumb characters. Perhaps the most naive is the John Cena character. The acting of everyone is really good, semicolon, including Cena. Parenthetical. Incredible humble here. <laughs> and Juan Pablo Raba being the most interesting, parenthetical, and surprising spelt with a U. Um, okay. Sir S-U-R-P-U-R. Surprising. Surprising. In a very good way. Alison Brie is very good, particularly in the sensual moments. <laughs> yes, it is a comedy, but a very serious one. <laughs> Sadly, the action could have been better, but this is a real good movie that deserves audience, and it will not disappoint. Uh, somehow, 8 of 16 people gleaned anything from that. They were... Oh, um, I guess he's a... He's a master persuader. But on the other side, he did not persuade Apex Hitter Music, who gave nope. this a... Uh, I'm sorry. No, that's the other 9 out of 10. He did persuade him. He did not persuade Davey Noodle. <laughs> okay. Uh, who has a more critical take on this movie. 1 out of 10. Seen it all before. This is a movie that will keep you checking the time to see how much longer you have to endure. That is, if you don't turn it off before the end. We have seen this a thousand times before, only with better acting and plot. Brie looks completely out of place in this style of movie, and Cena is just robotic. The movie does not seem to know what it's supposed to be. Generic? Confusing? Unfunny mess? Poorly casted? The movie's politics are so tangled that by the end, you still don't know whether Vangus is a lying dictator or a benevolent leader. I'm not quite sure why this was ever made. Maybe it was just to keep two B-class actors-less actresses busy. If you want to w watch because you are a Brie or Cena fan, parenthetical, you're going to be disappointed. Wait till you can get a copy on one of those free streaming sites. Donate your money to charity instead. Three out of five. Strong, that helpful. That's a strong vibe. I like that. It's like a completionist that, move. That is a good message, though. Like... Obviously, there are a lot more. Um... Yeah, that was um, that was actually a thing from uh, that reminded me of the thing from the completionist where he used to, his scale used to be the lowest one on scale was like trash it or something like that. And then people were like, well, why if it's still out there and it's a game that you can play just if you really don't like it, donate it and maybe someone can get something out of it. So that just reminded me of that. Uh, but Davy Noodle um, might be related to Navy Davy Jaws. <laughs> Uh, with his 6 out of 10 review, missed it by this much. <laughs> uh, I'm a huge John Cena fan and enjoy most of his action movies, which I actually enjoyed watching his latest one, Freelance. His character was indeed both likable and believable, but some of his co-stars weren't as much. I liked how the movie started out with the narrative, but somewhere along the way... It almost stalled out, but luckily the action sequences kept going. The movie had a worthy villain, and at first, the plot seemed very familiar with other films of this nature, meaning somebody real close may be betraying someone we like. However, that seemed, that seemed to change in a good way, close to the finale. Overall, this was a worthy action film with the bits of humor and compassion. 
I gave it seven stars for the outcome in this six-star review. Take a drink. Two out of four. Found that one helpful. All right. Well, you know, some people are difficult to please. Apex Hitter Music is not one of those people. Enjoyable movie. Don't listen to professional reviews. <laughs> At least that part of his message is fine. Good. Oh, Funny. In the classic. Action. Funny. Action. Witty. Some sentimental parts. It kept my attention even though it was somewhat predictable. It's a good, fun movie that doesn't take itself too seriously. Definitely fit the bill of you don't want to see some crazy disturbing Halloween movie? That's the sentence. <laughs> There's no secondary clause there. Could you use some more promo? I'm figuring most studios are angling for streaming revenue now. Also, that's that's the end of that sentence. John Cena did a good job, comma. And the Latin president was funny and witty. The female lead was great as well. Professional reviews have led me astray many times to the point I walked out of movies. Wait, I'm sorry, are you reading reviews while you're in the theater? <laughs> This movie, oh, or, or you went like to, you went in, to on, movies yeah. that were reviewed well professionally that he walked out of, I see. This movie was entertaining enough for that, though, that to never cross my mind. Oh, for that thought to never cross okay. my mind. There we go. Uh, three out of five found that helpful. I, I can imagine why. If you didn't like these reviews, uh, don't blame me. I literally had no options. This is, this is what we got. <laughs> I have one... I I have one Reese Griffith <laughs> from Reese Griffith five four eight nine six. Their one out of ten review, very boring and predictable. Uh, the first twenty minutes of the movie are in first person. Really, wait, really, and it leads to a lot of camera shaking. Uh, next, the characters are very flat and needed more development. All of the jokes seem to fall short and it seemed like they were trying too hard to get jokes to hit. Finally, all of the scenes are predictable and unrealistic. One good thing is that the scenery is is good, and it sometimes leads to a distraction from what is going on. All in all, it's a very boring movie, and did not entertain me. While the price of $5 uh, a ticket was good, it could not save this movie from the disaster that the plot had. So this was the mystery movie this week. I see. I, I had to imagine. I I still am trying to figure in my head the type of person that would go see a mystery movie. Yeah, it's just if you need if you're if you have five bucks and you want to spend some time in the in in a theater. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I I guess I can see it if you know if I if I lived alone and didn't like have any other hobbies. Like movies were my one hobby. Like I didn't play video games or, or mm -hmm. disc golf or anything like that. Maybe oh, I could see doing something like I that. I pay five dollars on Tuesdays and go see. I go to see the uh, mystery movie. Well, uh, yeah, I could see. I could like you know. I think I think a guy I worked with in Jersey, Shree John, would be a, a mystery movie kind of guy. He'd be right up that alley. Yeah. Um, but we're gonna finish off uh, this mystery review with uh, Cosmasps, uh, seven out of ten review. Uh, Paid for. <laughs> no pun intended. The movie has us guessing. Mostly right, I would assume, for most viewers. Uh, where we'll go next and who is doing what. To whom. The beginning is quite interesting, with POV shots, 
for those who are not fans of the Cena, uh, they might be <laughs> the, the Cena. <laughs> they might be the best shots, I reckon, because they don't have to see him. Bad, <laughs> bad. Kidding aside, and you could still hear his voice, so not sure if that is a positive thing or not in the end. The movie is about the dynamic between him and Allison Brie, who really has a hard time not just resisting temptations, many of them, but with her character and how far she should go to show the struggle she is in. This is not Shakespeare, but it does try to give us a message. The comedy sometimes does not have the same vibe. There is also a lot of violence. So can we care about the political message at all? And does silly humor fit into this? <laughs> Not always, I'd say, but you be the judge. Uneven, yet I reckon fun, if you suspend your disbelief. Makes no sense. Seen as bad back being one of the things that is, well, kind of redundant. Which can be a shame, I reckon. Tw- 12 out of 17. I reckon. <laughs> I reckon. Hey. And All right, well, that's freelance. We've reckoned enough. Uh, yes, we've we've met with our reckoning. Um, Saw X is a ninth, one point seven million dollars. The creator rounds out the top ten with one million dollars. That has not yet crossed the hundred million dollar mark worldwide. Um, it's at ninety eight million, so maybe it can get there, but. Uh, it's a good thing it didn't cost a lot of money to make because yep. it didn't make a lot of money. Calculated risk. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just it's just a sh- wasted potential. Just really, mm-hmm. really thought they could have done something with that movie, but they chose instead to not do anything. <laughs> yeah. It's it's pretty rough. Oh, well. All right. Well, that, there's your follow-up. Follow um, Priscilla. Quick shout out opened in twentieth and four theaters uh to a hundred and thirty two thousand so dollar opening. That's the that's their their narrow release, right? Yeah, it's it's premiere week. Okay. Um forty or uh, thirty three thousand per theater. Um I have heard a lot of bad reviews about Priscilla. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it would occur it would not surprise me that for a, a figure as as a persona beloved as Elvis um, and as closely followed, people would know a lot about Priscilla's life by proxy and would, as that's always the biggest problem with biopics is that where does it deviate from reality? Um, People get, uh, can get pretty upset and persnickety about it, particularly if it's going to tackle sensitive topics, which I assume this one does. Yeah, probably. Well, the whole relationship between Elvis and Priscilla Presley is kind of a little skeevy just because of the age difference. Yeah. Um, Not that, like, people far apart in age can't love each other. Like, I'm not trying to say that. My aunt and uncle have perhaps the most stable marriage that I know of, and there is a 14-year age difference between them. Like, it can happen. Yeah. Um, but like the optics of it, especially today, I think people are like a lot less tolerant of that today for whatever reason, where they just assume that if you're dating someone significantly younger than you, you're a creep and there's no like nuance to that. Right. Which is kind of unfair. Um, I mean, 
Yeah. At times, that is the story. I'm not trying yeah. to say that it's never the case, but it's not always the case. Um, Keep it case by case. But yeah, like it's it's got it's got a six point nine out of ten on IMDb, eighty five percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, I don't know exactly. Um, like uh, what all the critics are saying, but some of the fucking uh, I don't know why. I, Put stank on that. <laughs> I've I've gotten Those the can. I've gotten um uh reviews show up in my feed from like rogereper.com and like other pretty notable review outlets that gave it mm-hmm. poor score. Yeah. Um not Wild. like review aggregators. Yeah. Uh we probably won't review it ourselves. I don't I'm just not particularly interested in it. Um yeah, I I don't have a whole lot. I was I was interested in the reception to it. Uh more so than I was interested in the movie itself. I don't care to investigate the truth. It's just not important to me. Boom, boom. Yeah. Instead, we want to talk about video game news where it is the season uh where the reason is corporate greed. Yeah, it's um, it's November. Um, which uh, used to be one of the biggest uh, months on the video game calendar Um, for the same reason that, like, the reason hasn't changed. Like, it was a big month on the video game calendar because that was when the new Call of Duty came out, typically. Um, And there was a time, not so long ago, where every new Call of Duty broke the sales record um, for video games. Uh, we're a little bit past that, but Call of Duty still comes out in November every year. Yep, and they they still seem to think that they uh, they can earn that spot. Um, and with that with that monolithic huge uh, with the towering heights they've risen to, um, they've reached a new level of out of touch. Yeah, um... with this latest. With Modern Warfare 3, uh, this has been a disastrous rollout. Yeah, that's that's putting it charitably. Um, Modern Warfare 3 is the latest in the rebooted Modern Warfare series, um, right. which takes elements from the, the games that really made Call of Duty a household name. Like, Call of Duty was a... Well, the first Call of Duty was a PC-exclusive World War II shooter released in 2003. Call of Duty 2 made it onto the Xbox 360 in 2005 or 2006. Um, 2005, I want to say. That sounds right. And that was, like, one of the first um, non-like Halo first-person shooters. Uh, to have online connectivity like that. And that game was pretty popular. Call of Duty 3 came out, different developer. Um, emphasis on vehicle combat with vehicle controls that were janky to be charitable. Yep. Um, but then they kind of went back to the drawing board. Infinity Ward uh, released their latest hit, which was Call of Duty 4 Modern Warfare. And that kind of kicked off the the peak. That game was extremely popular yep. and uh, really put that on the map. So now they've been remaking those over the past few years, and they're up to Modern Warfare 3 now, and uh, 
they've made some questionable decisions, um, including making the game launch through Call of Duty HQ, which essentially means that you can't launch Modern Warfare 3 without first launching Modern Warfare 2. Perfect. Um, what a what a ridiculous move. Um, so first, obviously, uh, it should be said that this is um, either stupid or predatory, maybe both, in that you are... It's like gatekeeping the game or you know it's just a way to get more money off of a customer although um you could also say that i oh i don't know what are they trying to you're not quite forced to buy modern warfare 2 if you want to play modern warfare 3 Mm -hmm. because the warzone client like modern warfare 2 slash warzone client has been renamed to call of duty hd or hq so you right. can download the huge That's what I was gonna Warzone say the, download. Yeah, this was the next thing I was going to talk about was like just the huge file sizes as the tradition from these uh, for these games that just unoptimized. Well, they uh, have yeah, they didn't they don't try to reduce the size of anything. Mm-hmm. This is a game that is going to be 200 gigabytes which if you if with a strong optimization push, I would probably just off the dome guess you could put it under into something like seventy five eighty. Yeah, I mean if if fucking um, Spider Man, Marvel Spider Man Remastered, can be fifty six gigabytes. You there's can... no reason why Call of Duty has to be hundreds of gigabytes like for christ's sakes the witcher 3 is like an a, a 70 gigabyte game or maybe even less than that maybe it's only 59 um yeah it's and that game has huge amounts of content in it so there's really not any good excuse uh so combine that with having to install other packages to be able to launch this um all you know all but absolutely requiring you to um, you have now, and they are similarly unoptimized. You are now dedicating probably your entire hard drive to Call of Duty. Yeah, for some people, that's certainly a reality. That that could be like most of their their hard drive space if they're running on a, a smaller drive. And even one of the, even if you have like a one terabyte drive, which I guess nowadays would constitute as a smaller drive. Mm-hmm. You know, like two two hundred gig ish games. Is gonna give you up forty percent of that drive space. Yeah, forty percent from two games, one of which you might not even play. You might not give a shit about Warzone, but you have to have it installed on your computer if you want to play the other fucking game. Yep, and then you can get into the game and experience what the amazing standout. I you know the next level triple A quadruple A quality of the Modern Warfare Three remake yeah okay i know they so, make it like i'm sure their ux is to a certain standard but i can't imagine it's this groundbreaking altering experience yeah and um if you complain about us bringing up like rpgs for for a uh for reference uh doom eternal a first person shooter with 
arguably more content than I would expect there to be yeah. in a Call of Duty game is 80 gigabytes. Yeah. And, like, that's, you know, the netcode is not going to stack up uh, insane amounts on top of that unless you don't optimize it. You know, I'll call back to the GTA Five um, match loading times where a random user who was able to get into the code figured out that they were just, like, making these – the code was just awful. Yeah. Like, it was calling every uh, – it was making, like, individual calls, <laughs> like, hard written in, and he wrote, like, a loop in, in like, an hour and cut the loading times down from, like, 30 minutes to, like, five minutes. And then Rockstar was like, oh – and they ended up putting that code in the in, they integrated that code into their net code uh without because, paying him of course yeah um so i expect similar levels i you know i i don't i wouldn't be surprised if similar levels of um code building are going on at uh who's the studio it's not Treyarch right um it, it might be Treyarch i know Treyarch still makes call of duty games i think ravensoft might also make Mm-hmm. Other ones, I don't know. Here, let me so, figure this out. Yeah, and to pair with this, uh, there's the other. There's another. It doesn't just stop with this. Um, there also, we also have the lovely uh, accompaniment of the marketing for Modern Warfare Three, by oh, which that's I mean the original Warfare Three. <laughs> no, by which I mean the mandatory ad on opening up your Xbox One. <laughs> They would play when you try to to log into your Xbox. You have to watch. Uh, some users have experienced having to watch an ad for Modern Warfare Three. Well, you see, Microsoft spent a lot of money buying Activision. <laughs> they gotta start recouping that cost. Yeah. Um, Sledgehammer Games is develop the developer of Modern Warfare Three, who I think. Um. Might have been the developer of the original mm-hmm. MW3. So, yes, um, they were. Yeah. So this and again, this game is still in pre-release. Yeah, it hasn't come out just yet, but yeah. um, people are you know asking questions and. But they won't stop you from buying pre pre ordering. So you can um, play a few buying, days early. Yeah. Buy it now. Get the Vault Edition upgrade to your pre order. Um, and any you know maybe any other number of my pre game microtransactions. You gotta love it. Um, because you stupid consumer, you were going to buy it anyway, weren't you? So just do it now. Buy all our stuff. Give all of. I need to be making the most money with this. Um, it's, it's funny. Uh, it's a similar thing to, I have to imagine it's a similar thing to my coworker who has a Microsoft laptop. When he opens up to his pre-login page, it consistently is trying to sell him games on his work computer. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've seen, I've got started to get some of the advertisements on my work computer too. Yeah. Just like go by just ever in an inundated, um, like in a meeting in, in in the conference room, like the computer will pop up an ad for like custom Xbox One controllers. Yeah. And I'm like, cool, 
not exactly the time for this. Not the yeah. Um, it feels a little desperate. Um, <laughs> a little. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, I haven't heard a lot of stuff about the Xbox. Let's you know, in terms of exclusives, in terms of uh, performance, really. Well, the so the hardware in the Xbox One, I think, in terms of raw. Right. Uh, rasterization operations or, or flops of computing power is ahead of the PS5. Mm-hmm. And there have been a few Xbox exclusives. I mean, they do have the Game Pass. But that it's is been, one thing they got yeah, going it's been stuff like Xbox exclusives this year have been stuff like um, Redfall. And um, I don't know if Hi Fi Rush was Xbox exclusive, but none of these things are really Xbox exclusive because they all come out on PC too. Right. Um, I think that's part of, like, some of the flack Starfield gets is people on PlayStation kind of upset that it's not out on PlayStation yet. I think it will come to PlayStation eventually. Mm-hmm. But uh, speaking of games that are huge, that game install size is 140 gigs. Yeah. And it requires to be on SSD. <laughs> Which, uh, I mean, I... <laughs> I couldn't imagine uh, playing it not on on a spinning disc or playing it on a spinning disc with how many fucking loading screens there are. But mm-hmm. so, you know, with this, you know, I can. Those are the facts of of where modern warfare is right now. The facts of life. There but um, we're gonna jump quickly. Like I think we can walk a little bit into the realm of speculation. I just imagine. I'm just imagining people buying this for Christmas for their family and doing, you know, all the classic uh, issues with that, where you buy it for your kid, then you have to install the game and then you have to update the game. And then you have to, you know, maybe you have to clear The kid has to clear out other games that he has and has put progress into. uh, Yeah. That is another thing, right? He can't play it on, he can't play it on Christmas Day or anything like that. He's got to wait till the next day to get everything set up. I didn't even think about this from like a console gaming perspective. Yeah. Oh, maybe maybe the file sizes are are a little bit better on console. I can't I can't speak to that, but I know that the like drive size of these consoles is like terabyte ish, and as we just outlined, you know, you're potentially looking at. 40% of your drive space being taken up by what you need to launch the game and the game itself. And, and then on top of that, you have the portion of the drive reserved for like system apps. And, yep. you know, you're getting tight on space. So, and of course, I'm, I, dicks to donuts. This is going to be a $70 game. Oh, of course, with it's going to be paid day one DLC and microtransactions on top of it. Oh, yeah. If you want to have the true Call of Duty experience, I think you're probably going to be looking at $120 for the the ultra special uh, Sunshine the and Rainbows edition, edition yeah. of the game. Which, again, they are selling you as a pre-release, like buy into all the DLC before the game is out. And That's been a thing for a while. I hate it. Like, I, I yes. don't remember what the first game I noticed uh, advertising a season pass for DLC before the game came out, which is like, what? 
you already yeah. have DLC planned that didn't make into the game. Like in some respects, all right, you know. Sometimes products come with customization options. Yeah, which and there, there's like at that point. if it's a situation where you had this stuff planned, but you didn't have like time to get it out, or like it was beyond the scope of the initial release. That's whatever. Like something like um, Dragon Age Origins Awakening, right? That's an expansion that came out a little bit after the fact. It it didn't come across as stuff that was supposed to be in the base game, um, but they cut to sell it to you later. Um, uh, Witcher 3 expansions kind of felt that same way. And um, Phantom Liberty being the most recent example of something like that. Um, but that that DLC came out a couple of years after the initial release. Yeah. Um, but it always felt skeevy to me when they're, like, they're selling you the season pass for DLC before the games even come out. Like, you're asking me to commit to all this right up front. It's um, not a good look. It's not a good look. Um, but will it matter? Um, in the long run, probably not. They're gonna, probably going to make hand over, money hand over fist. As they do, um, although it's starting to starting to run a little thin, I imagine because this is they're on doing they're doing a reboot series now and trying to monetize every single aspect of this. Yeah. Um, I don't I don't know what this, I mean. Obviously, they're they're good enough to justify making a new Call of Duty every year, but I don't know what the sales figures are, and. I don't think they're quite at the peak they were back in like 2011 era, but uh, at the same time, um, there are a lot more people who play video games now. Yeah. So by by sheer like volume, they might do around as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This um, and you know, wouldn't you know it? The game is so big that it was our only topic this week. Yeah, there wasn't. There was also kind of like a slow news week. There was. I did see a story about a ninety dollar pre order for the newest um, World of Warcraft. Yeah, MMO players blast disgusting ninety dollar early access charge for World of Warcraft: The War Within. Well, yeah, that is fucking ridiculous. Yep. Because that's basically a DLC, right? <laughs> yes. Um. Uh. Announced, it was announced with two other expansions as part of the World Soul Saga at BlizzCon 2023. Um, the idea, nobody's happy about the idea of paying $90 for three days of early access to new content. Holy shit. There are three ways to bait to purchase the War Within you get the $50 base edition, you can upgrade to the $70 heroic edition if you want a bonus mount and a transmog set. Or if you want even more digital goodies, you can grab the $90 Epic Edition, which includes some other techno or tchotchkes, plus 30 days of game time, guaranteed access to the beta, and three days worth of early access to the expansion itself. Early access to the beta might make it a little less uh, bad. Like, I mean, obviously, when you, you lay out the like three days early access to the expansion, for $90, it sounds really bad. And I'm not saying that like beta access is going to make up for that kind of value. But it's a little disingenuous to say that you're paying $90 for early access because the expansion is going to cost you $50. Um, 
so you're essentially paying $40 for early access. Right. Now that's $40 for three days of early access. That's still bad. Yeah. But if you're it's... like getting access to the beta like a, a month or two out, still not great, but you can see, you can start to form an argument that there's a value proposition there. It just, this is a, a really st- a clear and, and uh, distinct caveat emptor. Um, here where just you please if you're buying it know that you're buying access to a beta that's not going to have it's not going to be feature complete yeah it's going to be in progress but I feel like especially whales if it's an option to buy they'll buy it and they'll just pay the money and there there are also I'm sure like publications essentially that you know put out guides like you know where to get stuff and what the best weapons and stuff are so like mm-hmm. having early access to test the stuff even though you know in a beta stuff's gonna shift but it might give you a little bit of knowledge of like where to look for stuff in your three days of early access so you can pump out all your articles by the time it goes live for yeah. everyone else uh but your average consumer doesn't make a lot of sense like if you if you want to get a feel for the game and participate in the beta that's fine i think a lot of people feel like beta is just an early access to the game but as you mentioned it's not going to be feature complete the final balancing isn't going to be in place and and the reason betas exist is so that you can generate that feedback right you're paying to you are paying to do partial testing for the game. Yeah, they're outsourcing and monetizing QA testing, essentially. Yeah. Which is kind of crazy when you think about it like that. So, again, this is our our ultimate call. If you're a listener of this podcast, you know our mantra. uh, Be careful with your purchases and be patient. Yeah, buy a game, not a promise. Yep. Um, Speaking of promise, uh, we will now discuss a movie that Began with such promise, but uh, ended up being a a uh, living up to it, a plodding, confused mess of a movie. Yeah, I think the confused is really one of the one of the best words to describe uh, outlaw Johnny Black. Not confusing, like no, you as the the viewer will be able to understand what's happening. But the movie is confused about its identity. Mm-hmm. This is this is a movie that is trying to lane split a couple of very close genres, and it feels torn between those. Um, the first, like, my first impression after finishing it was that this wants to be torn between uh, two superficially similar genres but which have distinctions which need to be respected. Uh, Those being the larger-than-life slapstick adventure, Um, the satirical, you know, that satirical kind of spoof of of tropes for a movie, Mm -hmm. and a little more sincere but lighthearted adventure story with uh, enjoyable characters, middling to low stakes and um kind of a quiet charm uh, the the one that comes to mind for me and 
the touch point I used a lot was like um, for that part was like Princess Bride. There's a part of this movie that wants to be Princess Bride, and there's a part of this movie that wants to be Blazing Saddles. Yeah, um, it it advertised itself as being a lot more in the Blazing Saddles camp. Um, but the movie didn't really satirize a lot of tropes. No, and in it fact, didn't, it didn't it really did. have. I don't feel like it has much material to pull from, like Black Dynamite, uh, which this movie will be forever compared to because it's yeah. most of the same people involved. Yes. And, and I don't know if this is ginormous product, uh, ginorm- gigantic, gigantic productions first uh, production on their own. Um, that's so. This is Michael Jai White's studio, um, and yes, sense. so the the obvious connection is Black Dynamite, one which I wonder if he has a much more personal connection to. Um, but nevertheless, um, that was a movie that did really it knew what it wanted to do and it succeeded in it very well. That being a laugh a minute, packed to the gills satirization. Of, of black exploitation movies, yes, and it 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 pulled on all the tropes, and it it had little little funny bits like fake production gaffes, like you can see boom mics and shots, and the obvious switching out of actors during a fight scene, stuff like that. Yep. This movie didn't really have any of that what sort it, of stuff. Yeah, the stuff it did have uh, did not land super well, with the exception of a couple. So the the thing about this is. Um, while it does take away from the overall quality of the movie, um, there are bits. There are bits and pieces in, in amongst this movie, which if given another pass through editing and maybe a, a tighter direction, could be could have the makings of a very solid movie. I think one of the biggest problems with this movie is its length. It's two hours and 17 minutes long. Yeah. There's not two hours and 17 minutes worth of content or story here. This is a tight 90, 100 minutes. Yeah, I, I feel like you could pretty easily take half an hour out of the movie and, you know, maybe put the emphasis a little bit more on some of the buffoonery mm. and it would have worked a lot better. Now, question for you. Since you have it up, did Black Dynamite? Uh, sorry, did was Black Dynamite directed by Michael Jai White? No, Black Dynamite was directed by a guy named Scott Sanders. Okay, so Michael Jai White directed uh, jo- the Outlaw Johnny Black. And that and makes a lot of sense. I think he. I don't think he has quite the chops for it. There's a the director. Uh, part of the reason that it is so long, I have noticed, was that there was a. It was. A, the pacing it, it was uh, not well paced especially in the some of the dialogue scenes yeah the pacing um, was atrocious to be to be yeah. fair uh, there were at some points um it does at, at at its worst um it would take on the quality of a of a like a community play yes <laughs> where people say their lines and you're waiting the beat for the next person to give their line yeah um, which with good direction, you would be able to get them to, um, really be able to get that scene really just that much tighter, just that much more snappy, which is really important for lighthearted, um, uh, comedy. 
Yeah, so... Especially um, a PG-13 kind of... Black like Dynamite this. was directed by uh, Scott Sanders, as mentioned, and it was written by Michael Jai White, uh, Byron Minns, who is uh, Bullhorn, and yep. the the preacher in this one. Who Those two returned to write Outlaw Johnny Black, but Scott Sanders was yes. also a writer on Black Dynamite, and he's not involved in the production with... Um, Outlaw Johnny Black. And it does make the difference here. It it shows a lot. I feel like they they've done I mean, Michael Jai White's been in a lot of movies. Right? Mm-hmm. And he's worked with really good directors. He's worked with arguably the best in Chris Nolan. Yeah. Um so like he's he's been around the block, but not everyone has the the touch, I guess. Yeah. And it may even just be a case of this might be one of his earlier directorial. Yeah, this outings. is only his his. So he's directed two movies prior to this one. Never back down, no surrender, and never back down to the beatdown, which are movies about mixed martial arts fighting. So um, much more, I would say, in his wheelhouse that he starred in. Yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, they're they're not exactly. Um, now this is very interesting. I'm gonna throw this out here. And they're also not well reviewed. <laughs> yeah, is this an example of a black shirt movie? Because Michael Jai White casts himself as the main character. He he gets the girl, and he wears the black shirt. And he and he's the one who saves the day. I mean, I guess, but Black Dynamite, Sans Black Shirt, was the exact same way. I guess that's true. Um, I mean, he wasn't the director in that, but you know, I feel like this was them trying to no. do Black Dynamite in the old west, but they don't have a lot of material to draw on. Mm-hmm. Like Blazing Saddles is one of the few western set movies with a yeah. black lead <laughs> yeah it's this <laughs> and that's a comedy parody of the genre <laughs> right there was some like there's some new stuff um what was that one there was a um uh black cowboy movie on netflix a while ago and they've they, oh right yeah that, that um one. i think paramount just came out with lawmen bass reeves which i'm actually interested in watching because I've been t- I've touted that before. The story of Bass Reeves is a real life story that is fa- uh, just as tall tale as any story you could make in fiction. He was you know a real life black lawman who who went around the West and did all the you know did all those heroic lawman things with lots of really interesting stories, and they made a series out of it. But um, uh. Like other than that, yeah, there's there's not a lot there, and part of so just thinking more about this uh, the movie here, like some of the com- the comedy doesn't work for me in part because it's not over the top enough. It's kind of hit or miss. Like there there are scenes that that really work for me. Like there's there's a scene later in the movie where he's escaping jail, and they do this big comedy stick where he keeps like taking the guy's gun out and putting it back in his holster and slapping him around. And like that, that worked. That was funny. And there's some other scenes. And like, I laughed at 
some of the silly bits, like how all the Indians in this movie weren't Indians, I, like half of them were white people. I think, yeah, I think they needed to go, honestly, I think they needed to go a little farther They with needed that. to lean into it a little more. Yeah, absolutely. if you don't commit to that bit 150%, it looks really bad. Yeah, like... You like, have to make sure the audience knows that you know... Yeah, that you are not you are casting these folks as a joke. You got to hang the lampshade a little bit more in that instance. Yeah, um, which there are some you know when they're when the chief is talking and it's obviously gibberish and he throws in like random English words in there. Yeah, yeah. Um. So like yeah, but aside from things like that, like yeah, there's a little you know. Michael Jai White's trying to do his best. He's got he's got a good comedic face. Yeah, he's got a great reaction face. And like um, he he is not really the problem in the movie. No, I think the problem stems honestly from a lack of Michael Jai White doing his thing. Because uh, so much of the movie is people talking about stuff that isn't necessarily related to anything going on in the movie. Yeah. And they try to recreate like the same villain structure that they had in Black Dynamite. But the guy who's trying to buy the the church land, like you don't even meet. You don't even see him till like pretty deep into the movie. Yeah. And he gets like two or three scre- scenes of screen time and doesn't really mm-hmm. do anything consequential in those. And then there's this other, you know, he's got his yeah, personal revenge plot. Just, I was going to say, to speak to the the, nat- the torn nature of this movie, right? We got two villains which don't share a lot of screen time until the very end, which means that which you leave... They're just together for the for the convenience of having them in the same spot when you're doing the climax. Yeah. Which the climax... There needed to be more goofing in the climax. Right. I did like, it did seem to me that um, the whole crew and cast were having a fun time with it. This feels like a very fun production, which I'm sure, um, I'm sure it was a nice set to be on for whatever that's worth. Yeah. You know, they, it's a, it's a tight crew and, you know, they, they like to come back for all these things. And that seems like one where they just had everyone just like, all right, we're doing the big, we're doing the big fight scene. Everyone gets to do a little bit, get all the extras out, um, get you going on that. It's like, and so that was nice. But again, I, I I agree that there is more opportunities for for good slapstick in there. There is a lot of uh, stuff you could add. Um, yeah. So this movie, like you know, the plot's torn a little bit, in which I the premise, like the real crux of the movie, shows up about half an hour in. Yeah. <laughs> like the introduction. Which is you have your outlaw, who is on the chase of a of a worse outlaw. He wants yeah. to get revenge, but through a series of mishaps, he uh, he meets a preacher, and the preacher dies, or he seems to die, and um, Johnny takes his place. Yeah, that is something that I think with again a tighter uh, a tighter uh, writing script, you could. Um, you could bring into 10, 15 minutes. Yeah, and you could have like done a little more with him. Was a fan fun- this was a fan-funded movie? That is interesting. I mean, I could see that. That might explain some of the, the budget. There were a couple, like, 
this is pretty classic like ranch ranch set shots um you know old school kind of props with a couple bad digital effects which yeah probably shouldn't have had in there um and yeah and so they and they don't take uh time for some of the there's some jokes that they probably should have done but they don't do like what early on black you know uh Johnny Black he throws his dynamite and they're like no one goes oh that's black's dynamite yeah or you could have like had the dynamite <laughs> yeah sound oh, just like a just a one off joke just i know just like you, wink at it you know i know you don't want to be like tied to your older productions but well i mean they certainly don't shy away from it like in the trailer like the big thing is when the team that brought you black dynamite yeah and if you go in expecting Black Dynamite, you're sorely disappointed because that's what I went in and expected. And I'm like, mm. okay, it's going to be Black Dynamite in the Old West. There's plenty of opportunities for that to be fun. Like we saw Mel Brooks do a great job with Blazing Saddles and like satirizing the entire Western genre mm. uh, with a black man in the lead even. And like there was there was a lot of easy layups that they just didn't take here and they so much of the movie honestly comes across as like a christian movie i think it does speak uh to what this movie and to this the weaknesses of this movie that the strengths seem to be like the quiet like romantic subdued scenes like the scene where he's out back talking with uh jesse Mm -hmm. um by the oil well and they're like having like this just this discussion under the stars and he's like you know you can feel like there's like the romantic chemistry there and there's like you know it's just like this quiet little scene that's like charming i'm like oh this is good why is why is this why is this a comedy movie like why was this not like just an adventure movie see i i kind of have the opposite i want them to to commit one way or the other it would have been better if they committed one way or the other but i really don't feel like the characters were strong enough to carry it as like a straight laced action movie and like michael jai white's fine in that kind of role but i think he's most entertaining when he's like the goofy caricature yeah um like if i if he were just, you know, like macho action protagonist number 7,943, I don't know that I would find the movie as enjoyable. Like it, it would reach a certain level, I'm sure, because he's he's competent. You know, he actually mm-hmm. knows martial arts. So his, his fight scenes are good. And like to Michael Jai White's credit, he does a lot of like really low budget movies that manage to like create genuinely good and entertaining fight scenes despite the lack of money so like that's that's a real strength of his yeah um so like i'm sure it would have been fine but i think it would have been better and maybe that's just you know me being a big fan of black dynamite if they had leaned more into that yeah because you have part of it you have a lot of the really good again why i say like this need just needed a a, maybe a another couple passes through the script was like the it has all the elements it has a good like a love triangle mistaken identity thing which is a great comedic device mm-hmm. um it has yeah it, it's, and like that scene was great when like they confront him thinking they both slept with him and he's like mm-hmm. trying to say that it wasn't him but not reveal that he game, has yeah. stolen this guy's identity 
and right. like the way the one girl reacts and, and like all the weird emotions she has because yes. she's still really thirsty for him but she wants to be upset that she was misled yeah <laughs> that's great um and like, that you was have really yeah. a good scene you have the the odd couple main cast pairing where you have the the uh straight man who is the the priest i guess they're both straight men but like they have that odd couple yeah uh, like rivalry they, they're energy. they're very different from each other but and they like learn they how try to be to, friends by the end yeah they try to fuck each other over at like every turn like yeah. when he baited michael jai white to yell at him when he was supposedly had laryngitis yep. and couldn't give a sermon another good scene and like they were the, every now and then there would be a couple of like good ones in a row and you're like okay now we're kicking into gear and then they would just like switch back to like be something completely different. And you're like, mm-hmm. what the? Come on, guys! Yeah, you had your ense- your ensemble cast of kind of oddball characters who weren't ever, who again weren't over the top enough to really be like stand out. Like that's what the, that's the thing where you have every character in the ensemble has one thing. Yeah, one special they, thing. They so it's it's a weird spot, right? Because they're not caricatures. But they don't do enough with them to develop them as characters. Like, they all kind of have, like you said, the one thing about them. Right. And um, even not... even the main character is a lot more one-dimensional than, like, Black Dynamite was. Where he did all these, like, things. Like, like the one thing was, like, he, oh, you know, he's he's basically Superman and all that. But, like, within that, he did all these different things like his kung fu and yep and you know being a pimp and all yep. this other stuff and his backstory where he was an orphan yeah and all that stuff so like there was just a lot of shit on there and it was all super silly and it kind of made him a character but like outlaw johnny black we don't even really see him doing a lot of outlawing no and and, and his, we don't know he, we didn't realize he had a gang until the end yeah of the movie. like he mentions having a gang and i'm like where the fuck were these guys before yeah <laughs> why couldn't you mention he has a gang and then they get to all have why couldn't yeah they on. could have all been like in black dynamite you could have had like you know your cream corn equivalent and your bullhorn equivalent and they those actors were in the movie yeah. they could have been in his gang and I feel like it would have been a lot more entertaining to have like them be this gang of like ludicrously silly outlaws in the Wild West. Yeah. Who, you know, like defend. The, you could have had the same plot of like oil being discovered in the small town where they were like casing the joint. But, you know, they grow attached to the town. So like they rally to fight back. again. You could have done largely the same plot, but right. reframed it and had wackier characters. And the movie would have been much better for it. Yeah this I, I i keep coming back to it um but i'll keep hitting it because it really does seem like the conclusion that this is coming to that just this needed another rewrite yeah it 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 needed it needed someone outside of the circle hmm. to go through it and you know punch it up a bit everyone the the main cast and the, the a lot of the name cast where they're who are big name actors they put their effort into making the roles, um, you know, really, really putting their effort into it for the most part. Um, the, again, the supporting cast feels a little wooden. Yeah. Um, that's again, that's on directing. You can you can bring that out of them. 
Yeah, and again, it kind of speaks to Michael Jai White's inexperience as a director, and like, this is the first movie of this sort that he's tried to do. Mm. Like, I don't think Never Back Down was really a movie where he had to like draw out convincing no. emotional performances from the cast. I don't think that's why the people who went to see that movie went to see that movie. Yeah. <laughs> um. So. Uh, I, I don't know. We're kind of dancing around it. Uh, I, I, I'd say a... I'd, I'd give this a skip. Yeah, honestly, skip it. I don't think it's even if you're a fan. I don't think it's really worth your time. Uh, look up clips of the funny scenes on YouTube, and I think that will give you all that you wanted out of the experience. Yeah. Um, if he's going genre by genre <laughs> with these, uh, logic dictates that either he's gonna be a pirate. <laughs> like uh you know uh high uh blackbeard of the high seas yeah you know or um or he's going to be in space he's going to either of those concepts black could nebula could be a really funny movie uh if done correctly yeah uh but uh i think that's going to about wrap it up for us on this edition of the sound studs podcast be sure to join us next week when we discuss Something. I don't know. Season two of Invincible's out, so that might be an option. Yeah. Um we'll figure that out. Um but until next time, be well, stay safe and probably like it's nineteen ninety five. Peace. Bye bye.